Good morning, Forest View. My name's Craig, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Forest View. Uh, real nice to be with you, even though, of course, we're not actually together. But, but that's why we have imaginations, right? To imagine what is actually true. And the truth is that we are all in this thing together, that we're united in Christ. And so even though I'm just looking at this strange camera right now, uh, I'm imagining that you and we are all together in, in one room, uh, thinking about God's word for us and our lives. Uh, we're in a series right now called Life Together, uh, which is, of course, a little strange considering we're not, <laughs> but it's a look at the book of Philippians, which is very much about life together. In fact, Paul is writing this book on life together while he is physically separating them. He's in prison, of all things, in jail. And, and as he's separated, he's recognizing and realizing and emphasizing the importance of being together and living life together well. And as he's doing that, as we sort of walked through this book of Philippians, we've seen some big themes come through. We've seen, seen themes of peace, grace, unity, gratitude, love. But now Paul is getting to the biggie, all right? He's now going to talk about humility. And in fact, for the last two weeks, this is the third week, uh, this has been where we've been focusing on. Nat's introduced us at the end of chapter one to this idea of humility and its importance in life together. Paul took us a little farther and introduced us in the, to the Christ hymn in Philippians 2. And I'm going to continue on with that and look at the Christ hymn today. So um, with no further ado, let's dig in and read this great, great part of scriptures. I'm going to start back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, which is where Nat started us. This will give us sort of the context for this passage. Here we go. Meanwhile, Paul says, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ, or as other translations put it, Live as citizens of heaven in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Because remember, he's away. <laughs> your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest, before the opposition. Now, you're going to get a sense it's the, the struggle that's coming. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And this is where it gets a bit ominous. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. So, if in any way I have given you encouragement in Christ, if in any way my love has consoled you, if in any way you have enjoyed the fellowship created by the Spirit, if in any way you have experienced the tenderness and compassion of God in Christ, then make my joy complete. He's really piling it on, right? You see that. And now, what, does, what will make his joy complete? This is what he wants him to do. Think alike. 
love alike. Be of one soul, be of one mind. Do not act out of a spirit of rivalry, nor out of empty conceit. It's what at Forest View we might say, you know, thinking the best of each other, you know, doing the best for each other. Continues. He says, act with humility and consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of others and not just your own interests. In your relationships with one another, adopt the same mindset as Jesus. And here he goes. An ancient hymn. Precisely because he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to grasp after. On the contrary, he instead poured himself out by taking the form of a slave, by being born in the likeness of humanity, by being revealed as a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. As a consequence, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and conferred on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee might bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue openly and thankfully acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great passage, great hymn, right? Uh, one of the sort of soaring passages in all of scripture talking about the humility of Christ. Now, if you were following along with me in your own translations, maybe you have a translation that said, you know, started off saying, you know, um, although he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp after. And, and that always strikes me as, kind, as a little kind of funny because, you know, it's as if saying, although he was God, wow, shockingly, he decided to humble himself and empty himself. And whereas the, the whole testimony of Scripture is just the opposite. It says, you know, God is forever pouring himself out, making the first move, moving towards us. That's the reason I love the translation. It says, precisely because he was in the form of God. He didn't think twice about emptying himself because that's what God does. God is always about moving towards us, breaking down barriers and walls. That's the type of God that we have. Christ was in the form of God and so thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Didn't think anything about any need to snatch after equality with God. Instead, what does he do? He pours himself out and becomes human. John in John chapter 1 puts it this way. The word, which is John's way of saying Christ. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, he says, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. See, there's this, again, identity, right? What God is, the, what the father is, the son is. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I do love the notion of God, the almighty one, moving into our neighborhood. But you know what's really been, uh, I guess, striking me these, these, this last couple of weeks as I've been reading it, it's probably been the first time ever. For the first time ever, when I heard those words moving into our neighborhood, and I was reading more about 
the Christ in thinking more about the Christ hymn, it dawned on me. He didn't move into my neighborhood. Instead, he became a slave, it says. He became part of the conquered people, right? Born, at least in the eyes of the community, as an illegitimate child. Self-described as a street person, right? A homeless man with no person, no way to lay his head. Executed by the state in a trial that was organized by the religious leaders. You know, he moved into the neighborhood, but it was not my neighborhood. <laughs> you see, I have privileges I can't even understand. I'm a white male. My race, my gender, my education, my postal code, Everything about my life is not the neighborhood that Christ broke into. God didn't break into the world as me. You see, I'm part of the conquering tribe, right? With every privilege you can imagine, God came as a slave. God chose to stand in solidarity with the poor, standing on the side of the poor, standing or being with the poor, advocating for the poor. When God broke into the neighborhood, it was the neighborhood of the poor. And, and when I say poor, I mean that in the broadest sense. Uh, more than just economic power, economic uh, poverty, we're talking about standing in solidarity with the powerless, those who are dismissed, ridiculed, the ones who are unfairly treated or somehow considered to be less than in society. Those are the ones that God consistently moves towards. That's the neighborhood God inhabited. God stands in solidarity with that group, not my group. He throws off the robes of privilege, willingly, out of love, and becomes a slave. And then I hear the words from Paul in your relationship with one another, adopt the same mindset as Jesus. And it's kind of like the mic drops a little bit, right? Because here was my dawning, <laughs> my poing moment. If solidarity with the poor is one of the primary markers of being a follower of Jesus, then I'm afraid I have a lot of growing to do. If solidarity with the poor is one of the primary markers of being a follower of Jesus, I've got a long way to go. It's, in fact, it's kind of incongruous to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but not have the same mindset of Jesus. And that mindset was so totally focused on living life with 
those on the margins. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that commercial way back, um, talking about being like Mike, you know, Mike, Michael Jordan, maybe you saw the documentary on Netflix. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea of being like Mike, I want to be like Mike. Well, to say, I want to be like Mike, and then never pick up a basketball, um, that just doesn't make any sense, right? You might be a fan, but you could never say you were a follower. You could never say you were following in the footsteps of Michael Jordan. I kind of think it's the same way. We might be a fan of Jesus, but until we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, it's very hard to say, I'm more than a fan. I'm actually a follower. And I'm hearing freshly through this passage in Philippians, this call to stand in solidarity with the poor. Last week, uh, Paul talked to us and uh, compared the, um, the coming of Christ and sort of the humility of Christ with the humility of Martin Luther King. And he mentioned a, a letter from Martin Luther King, uh, just entitled, letter, A Letter from the Birmingham Jail. It was written by Martin Luther King uh, to the white church leaders in the area who had sort of taken a little bit of a strip out of him. And it was his response. Let me, let me encourage you to, um, to read that. If you haven't, I, I took some time this week and, and I read it. It's not, it's not long. You got to get past maybe the first page or so of introductions, but it is pretty compelling. In fact, maybe we'll put the link um, on the side sidebar there, so you, if you know, if I get boring or whatever, you can just read Martin Luther King, and he'll be way more engaging than me. <laughs> but it, it's a great passage, and and I think fits really well with what we're talking about here. Um, he talks in that letter about his disappointment with the white church. In fact, he says the greatest enemy of the civil rights movement isn't the, the Ku Klux Klan or the, or the extremes. It's actually the moderates, <laughs> the people who are the guardians of the status quo. And so it was pretty convicting, right? Uh, because it's easy for me to say I, I, I would have joined Martin Luther King in his march uh, for sure. I, I, I would have been there. But then I asked myself, okay, so where was I? Uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests. Hmm. How have I stood in solidar solidarity with the indigenous peoples who've been and continue to be unjustly treated? How have I moved into the neighborhood of the poor in all the many facets of that word? And so I was kind of reeling after reading those letters never bad to make you sort of sit and rethink things, right? And then last week, if you were part of the breakout groups, uh, Melody mentioned, we, we were talking about books that we've read, and Melody Wrench mentioned the book Just Mercy. Uh, now, I'm not a great reader. <laughs> when she mentioned a book, it was like, oh my, I can't do another one. The letters are like five pages. I could get through that. But a whole book? My goodness. Um, but it just so happens that on our table at home, my wife had brought home a movie. I'm better, way better with movies. Had brought home a movie, and sure enough, it was that book, Just Mercy, turned into a movie. 
and I can watch movies. It was very compelling. And uh, it's a story of Brian Stevenson, a uh, black Harvard law graduate, fresh, fresh out of law school, fresh out of a Harvard with, with a Harvard law degree in hand. And instead of, you know, uh, taking a job at one of the big firms that, of course, would be dying to get him, he decided to move to Alabama and represent um, men on death row, men who are mostly black. Uh, it is, as I mentioned, very compelling, this guy who gave up all his privileges to represent those who society had dismissed, interestingly, of those that he has represented. One out of every 10 uh, people who are on death row have been found to be innocent. It's just this wonderful thing that he has done, standing in solidarity. But even for those who were guilty and confessed their guilt, he became a friend and an ally to them, standing in solidarity with them. He did an interview with Christianity Today, and, and I found it really interesting. Uh, again, compelling is the word that keeps coming to mind. He says, I want to see people of faith get re-engaged. The Gospels talk about not only feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and providing shelter to the homeless, but also about going into the jails and prisons and standing with the accused. And he says, we haven't done that in a way that I think we should. So, letters, a letter from the jail in Birmingham by Martin Luther King this story of Just Mercy, a story of Brian Stevenson. And then my wife brought up one other movie for me. She loves the library. And uh, it was a story of Mr. Rogers, a beautiful, uh, what is it? A beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? Uh, a white man, but who's given his life to simply being a friend to people, working to reduce racial barriers, working to restore healthy relationships. It was again, this same sort of uh, reminder to me of, of what the mind of Christ looks like in action. And I kept coming back to it. In your relationship with one another, adopt the same mindset as Jesus. So, what do we do with all this? I think it's pretty hard to ignore this huge theme in scripture. It's certainly impossible to ignore it in this passage here in Philippians 2. So the question is now, how do I become a follower of Jesus and not just a fan of Jesus? How do I adopt that same mindset? I wonder, there are, it's way more complicated than this and I'm obviously just starting out on my journey, but maybe there's three things that I could suggest. First. I think there's just an awareness and a confession of, of where we're at right now as, as, as a people, as, as an individual. Um, someone talked to me and said, you know, Craig, take a look at your contact list in your phone. How many of those people are just like you? Craig, look at the last 10 emails you've sent. Look at the last 20. Heck, you can look... Who are you emailing? Are they people just like you? 
Are you moving into neighborhoods that aren't just like you? Boy. And you know, COVID has only intensified this whole thing, right? Now we have officially a sanctioned bubbles. <laughs> and what do your bubbles look like? My guess is there's not a lot of solidarity with people outside of people like us. People, whoever you are. We tend to gravitate towards people just like me, which is not the way Christ operated. So the first thing I think is just simply be, to be aware, be aware of our own proclivities, our own tendencies to move towards people like us, and an acknowledgement of the incredible amount of privilege that we bring to this conversation. Second, acknowledging probably isn't enough. <laughs> uh, and it was interesting in, in Martin Luther King's letters, he talked about how so many people were just saying, just be patient, just be patient, Martin Luther King. He said, how can I be patient when this, this, and this is happening? People say to wait, but we can't wait any longer. He wants us to feel this urgency. And so there is a call to, awareness isn't enough. <laughs> We need to move into some sort of action. And I think one of that maybe is about breaking out of our bubbles. Little steps. <laughs> maybe it's simply, and this is almost going to sound trivial to you because it almost does to me, except when I think about myself, maybe it's even as, as small as simply join the breakout groups afterwards. There's a randomness to those breakout groups, which I will admit, as a socially awkward person, <laughs> is terrifying, right? You get in there, you say, what if, what if, what if? It's never like that. Or even if it is, there is still some benefit in being forced out of my little bubble. Because I'll tell you, my world, my COVID world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is one more opportunity to meet people who I don't know. So maybe it's simply something as similar as that. Maybe it's about taking that next step and, and actually looking for natural opportunities for you to break out of your bubbles and my bubbles, right? Uh, maybe it's things at work where you always sit with this group of people but for lunch, but why don't you sit with that group? Why not? Or why not call the group together? Why not deliberately get to know people that you maybe don't already know well? Standing with other people. And in breaking our, out of our bubble, the first step might be going after natural relationships that just are there. Maybe there's also a call for us to pursue some, I guess, more disruptive opportunities. Ones that take us out of our normal ways of gathering and normal ways of operating and putting us in positions where we actually come up with people who are don't work with us, don't live by us, don't go to church with us. Maybe it's involved being involved with some of the work that Paul Miller is doing or other so many other opportunities for us to simply stand together with those who have been marginalized. I just think it's something that as a church, uh, individually, I need to start talking about it. I need to start talking with people that I can trust and, and colleagues. But I think as a church, we need to, and I think we are, 
we need to start talking about this and pursuing it. What does it mean for us to be a true follower of Jesus, standing in solidarity with those in the margins? But the hymn doesn't end there. The hymn says that the humility of Christ, the death of Christ on, of all things, a cross, the execution of Jesus, is not the end of the story. Because it goes on and says, As a consequence, therefore, God exalted this Christ, this Jesus, to the highest place and conferred on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee might bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue openly and thankfully acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, actually will be brought about. God is seeing to it that all nations, every tribe, every tongue will be brought under the unifying and loving reign of Jesus. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The resurrection confirms that how we looked at this Jesus is not the way God looks at him. This is the Son of God, he says. This is my beloved Son. And not even death, not even death can be the end of that. Raised on the third day, exalted to the heights with the promise that one day justice will reign like a mighty river. The invitation is for us as followers of Jesus to join in the will of God. Amen.